All right, good morning, everyone. Let me first say what a joy and privilege it is for me to be here because, uh, you know, I met uh, Andrew a couple weeks ago when we were having dinner and uh, he was telling me all the great things God is doing at Cornerstone. And, you know, as a pastor, I never get to visit other churches. And so it is such a privilege to see, you know, God is doing something special here and to be a part of something that's special is special to me, you know. And so thank you for having me. And um, today I just want to share from First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 to 12. And so if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Finally then, brothers, we ask you, uh, finally we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Friends, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. So I have to confess, you know, when I was younger, I was never really a good student. And um, one lesson, though, even though I I feel like I'll blame everything, like I was at the bathroom when you went over that, you know. But one lesson I'll never forget was the lesson of metamorphosis when I was in elementary school. And if you don't know what that is, uh, the word comes from a Greek word, metamorphosis. Meta meaning after, right? And morphe meaning form. So after form or transformation, right? Metamorphosis, to transform, right? And the lesson I'll never forget is that this gross and little caterpillar, that it would change into this beautiful butterfly. And as a young boy, I couldn't believe it. My teacher brought in this big glass case, right? And uh, inside this glass case was this caterpillar. And this gross caterpillar would lay an egg. And when the egg would hatch, Not a butterfly would come out, right? But when the butterfly would lay an egg, out would come a larva, this gross and nasty caterpillar. And it would eat in its own shell. It would eat the leaves around it. And after weeks and weeks, it would create a cocoon around itself. And then out from the cocoon would come a beautiful butterfly. Now, as adults, most of us are probably here thinking, whatever, right? We know this. We've seen this before. 
But as a child, when you see it for the first time, isn't it so awesome? Isn't it so beautiful? And as I was trying to make sure I got the facts right, I was watching YouTube videos, and I'm still, as an adult, when I watch that, it's awesome, you know? It's amazing. And I share this because as much as caterpillars are gross, this is our story. And although we don't start off as these creepy, crawly uh, caterpillars, surely the Bible tells us Sin has turned mankind into this grotesque, this super ugly creature. But God's plan was not just to save us and say, I'm not, I don't want you to die, caterpillar. I'm going to raise you up, right? He doesn't just save us, but he wants to change us. He wants to spiritually metamorphosize us. In other words, he wants to sanctify us. And so by looking at our text today, there's three things that I want us to see about uh, being sanctified by the gospel or gospel sanctification. The first thing I want to see in our text is what does it exactly mean? How do you define sanctification? Christians throw this term around a lot. What does sanctification mean? Second, how, why should we seek it, right? If the gospel message tells us if all you have to do is have faith in Jesus and heaven is waiting for you. Why do we care about sanctification if we already have salvation? And lastly, how should being sanctified make a difference in our life? What's the impact? What's the application, right? What's the difference that Jesus makes in our life? And so the first thing is to learn about sanctification, we need to begin by defining it, right? By asking what it means. Well, like the word metamorphosis that comes from the Greek, sanctification comes from a Latin word, meaning the first part is sanctus, meaning to make holy, right? That's why we're in a sanctuary, right? A holy room or sanctimony, right? A, ho a holy uh, relationship, right? Or fakir means to make. So to holy, to make, right? Or when you put these words th together, sanctus fakir or sanctuary, uh, sanctification, which means to make holy, right? That's how this term comes about. And you look in our text in verse 4, what does Paul say? In verses 1 to 3, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? And so as Paul describes sanctification here, he's saying it's a walk. It's a process to become holy in order that the end goal, right? The end goal is to please God. And so whenever I thought about the term sanctification, I remember learning this when I was in youth group and uh, the youth pastor talked about it and it's this process to be more like Jesus, right? You become more and more like him. But what our passage tells us, it's not just a process. It's not just a means to an end, but it's also the end. It's the goal. And so sanctification is a process and the goal. It's both. And that's why Greg Beal, if you look at this slide up here, he's a professor at Westminster right now. He, uh, he writes this in his commentary, commentary. Whether in the ancient world or today, the chief end of humanity has often been to take pleasure in this life 
In contrast, our passage begins by affirming the opposite. Humanity's chief goal ought to be to take pleasure in pleasing God. Pleasure in pleasing God. You see, since our God is a holy God separated by sin, we too should then separate ourselves from sin. And to separate ourselves from the thought of making this world as if this is everything, right? And that this world, every ounce of this world, whether we eat or watch Netflix or whatever, we're doing it for our pleasure. That's not what scripture is saying. The Christian aim is different. Our goal is to love God, right? And when we do this, when we stay close to Jesus, when we love him, when we please him, it actually will bring us greater joy, right? Greater pleasure than any roll of sushi or, or steak or Netflix can offer us in this world. And that's why in verses 3 to 5, if you look at our text again, Paul tells the Thessalonian church, abstain from sex. Abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. Now, when you read this text, you know, it almost seems odd. You're talking about sanctification, and out of all the sins, Paul brings up sexual sins. Why does he do that? Is there something terribly bad about sex? Is there something perverse about it? And the answer is no. Sex in itself, as God ordained it, right? There's nothing wrong with it. Without going too much into it, you know, in premarital counseling, I always go over this, that sex is a good thing. It's for procreation, husband and wives for them to enjoy it, husband and wives for them to communicate, right? They communicate better. They can show each other how passionate and how much they love each other. However, the reason why Paul points out sex here in our text is because as sinners, we'll take something good that God created like sex, right? And we'll use it, we'll abuse it, and we'll make it idolatrous. And basically make it ultimate in our lives. And because of that, we'll forget. We'll forget it's about pleasing God and make it about pleasing ourselves. And that's why, because the Thessalonian church, they were tempted with this, just like the church today struggles with it. Next to money, right? Next to power, which are not bad things either, right? But the love of money, the abuse of power. Sex is definitely right up there, isn't it? If not number one, that tempts us to think it's about ourselves instead of pleasing God, instead of living for God. And that's why to begin to learn about the sanctified life that we're called to, we need to understand it's a life of becoming like God and it's a life for God, right? Not to ounce, soak every ounce of this world for our pleasure, but for the pleasure of God. Which leads to the second point, to learn about gospel sanctification. Not only do we need to see that it's a process and it's a goal, but we really need to ask why. Why should we even seek it? You know, with the uh, pandemic we're in, it's crazy how the market is uh, really hurting in certain industries like restaurants, right? A lot of them are suffering, but certain ones are hot, 
hand sanitizer. You remember how expensive they got? Nobody could get their hands on it. Bicycles, workout machines, like to buy it. You have to spend a crazy amount of money. And I have to say, as someone who was attacked by two dogs when I was a kid, it was crazy. I had to go to the emergency room and everything. I can't believe it. But uh, my household joined the craze of getting a puppy, right? Like the rest of the people in our area. And uh, even though I have the strength and fortitude not to follow the rest of the world, I have a problem saying no to my daughter still, right? And as a puppy owner, I've been learning a lot of things. Like they would wake up in the middle of the night. And so I'm like, how do you make this puppy sleep like without waking up? And someone said, well, put a blanket over the crate. And sometimes that helps them feel secure. You know, it's dark. They feel like, you know, something's wrapping around them. Other things about puppies is that they'll never poop in their bed. They're smart enough to know this is my crate. I'm not going to poop in here. But once it comes out and it doesn't know the house yet, it'll poop and peep because it doesn't know, right? You have to train it. Outside is outside and this is your home. So show the puppy a little bit of your house here, a little bit of your house there so it knows this is your house. The most impressive thing I've seen about puppies I went to visit a church member who also got a puppy and they were showing me all these tricks like, uh, you know, twirl around and do this and bark and give me your paw, pound my hand, you know. But the most impressive thing was like, if you know puppies, they love treats, right? And they'll go crazy for table scraps or any type of treats. But um, my friend takes the puppy treat and puts it on the palm of her hand, right? The puppy's like all excited to eat that tree. And she's like, wait, wait for it, right? And the puppy's like, uh, like, like waiting, waiting. And then she's like, go. And then once she says go, she, the puppy gobbles it up, right? And so at first I was like, oh, that's, that's cool, but I can do that, right? So I go home and I, I call my puppy over. And I call her, her name is Piper. And I'm like, Piper, Piper, come over here. And he comes running over. I was like, Yo, you're so smart. Like, I just say your name and you know, right? You know to come over. And so I, I take the tree and like the dog is salivating. Literally, the tail's wagging like 100 miles per hour. I put the tree, I'm like about to lower. I'm like, wait. And, wait. and before I say the second, wait, she eats tree up, right? I'm like, you stupid dog, right? <laughs> and I couldn't understand. Like, how come this other dog had so much discipline, so smart, so much self-control, but my puppy couldn't do it? And the lesson that I learned was that's the difference between a new puppy and an older one. A new one almost always gives in to their carnal desires. They don't know any better. They'll just give in to it. But the older puppy, they know their master well. Instead of giving in to the temporary pleasures of this doggy treat, they love their master and they'd rather wait until they say it's okay. And I share this because it's one thing to be able to define sanctification, but why should we seek it? Well, first of all, it tells us sanctification is the will of God. We saw that in our text, right? Meaning again, when Christ saved us, it was not only to rescue us from the penalties of sin, but God's desire and will has always been to transform us, this ugly caterpillar, into this beautiful butterfly. That's his will. And we see that all over scripture. Look at, check out these texts. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To conform us to the image of his holy son, right? 
In Ephesians, it says this, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. And in Hebrews, it says this, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good and that we may share in His holiness. This is God's will. This is what God wants. This is what brings Him pleasure. And so if you go back to verse 2 in our text, Paul is basically saying, right, if dogs know, if dogs know better to obey their masters than giving into their carnal desires, how much more us? If we know the instructions of Jesus, our masters, right? It says, for you know what instructions we gave you. If we know the instructions of Jesus, our master, our king, then the question isn't, why should we seek sanctification, right? If we know that our God and King is displeased by sin, the real question is, why should we choose this temporary doggy treat rather than loving our master and our King? That's the real question. And so if Christ is our King, again, if He is our master, our creator, the owner of us, our family, our church here at Grace Point, then all of who we are, it must be about being with Him, being like Him, and doing things for Him, right? That's why. The question isn't why. The question should be why not. The last thing I want to share about gospel sanctification is how do we do it? How do we become sanctified? How should being sanctified be reflected and make a difference in our lives? You know, it's hard to believe, but it was 20 years ago since my first mission trip, like, you know, straight out of college, I signed up to go to this small country in West Africa called Gambia for this medical mission trip. And back then when I signed up initially, I was like, what am I thinking? Why did I sign up? I have no medical background. I'm working for Pricewaterhouse. I have no seminary degree. I know nothing about evangelizing or sharing the gospel. And so as the date got closer to my mission trip, I was like, what am I going to do? I signed up for this thing, but I'm not ready. I'm not equipped. And I was so close to pulling out. Four years prior to this day, uh, to that day when I was about to leave, I attended Urbana, this huge missions conference in Illinois that has like 20-something thousand people, right? And I was like, oh, I should buy something as a souvenir. Like, what should I buy? So I bought this random book, right? This book uh, called Let the Nation Speak Glad by John Piper. I didn't even know who John Piper is, but now my dog's named after him, right? And so I was like, okay, might as well give it a read. I'm going to go out and leave on missions. And when I read it, it blew my mind. And one of the things I'll never forget in that book that he writes is this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And let that soak in for a minute because, you know, everyone's like, missions, missions, you got to do this, right? But he says missions exist only because worship doesn't, right? Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and countless millions of redeemed fall on their face before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is only a temporary necessity. And when I read this, I was like, whoa, 
all of my anxieties about being a good missionary, right? Do I know anything medically? No. Do I know anything biblically? No, not really. Do I know how to worship? And I would say yes. And you know what? That's all that counts. That's the most important thing about worship, uh, missions, worship, right? And so I was so determined. I'm just going to go there and I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to sing. I'm going to raise my hands. And if others join me in worship, mission complete, right? Now there's a place where people are worshiping God that nobody has worshiped before. I share this because when we say that's the crux, that's the most important thing about missions, right? Worship. When we ask what's the most important thing about sanctification, to know you're a sanctified Christian, what is the answer? And most of us, we might have our own list of things. What makes a good Christian? Maybe our list is the Ten Commandments. If we come to church here, we're good Christians, right? If you're watching online, you're not as good. <laughs> maybe, that's a, maybe that's our threshold. Maybe it's honoring your mom and dad. Maybe you're a, childhood, you're a child here and they say, I listen to my parents, but other kids don't. Maybe it's lying, cheating, stealing. Maybe it comes down to those things. And I guess in one sense, it's good, right? You are being sanctified if your life is lined up with the Ten Commandments, because naturally it will, right, if you're being sanctified. But is that the most important thing? Francis Schaeffer, a legendary pastor and theologian, he says this, Christians have lots of calling. Evangelism is a calling, but it's not the first calling. Building congregations is a calling, but it's not the first calling. A Christian's first call is to return to the first commandment to love God, to love the brotherhood, and then to love one's neighbor as himself. It's about love. And that's why in verse 9 and 10 in our text, Paul writes, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. You see, what Paul is saying here is you want to know what sanctification looks like? You want to know how Jesus should make a difference in your life? Paul tells us God's love has been poured into our hearts. And so that's why you don't need anyone to tell you, right? You don't need anyone to write to you. You don't need anyone to teach you. Because once love is flowing in your hearts from sanctification, from loving God, you will naturally love your brother and sister. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Tom, I've been reading the Bible. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I'm a, I love people around me. But you don't understand. There's this one person Right? We all have that one person. He or she is so messed up. You don't know what they said to me. You know how dirty that was? You know what they did to me? You're telling me to love them? There's no way I'm going to do that. I'll never love that person. I'll, there's no way I can do it. I don't have the strength. 
And I'm telling you, if that's what you're thinking, that's really your problem. Because when we feel like we'll never be able to do it, right? We'll never be able to love someone. It's because we're living out of a works mentality. We're relying on our strength, our might, right? That we can never do it. But what does Paul tell us in our text about sanctification here? If you go back to verse 8, he tells us it's not by our might, but it's by the Spirit of God. You see, friends, that's the difference the gospel makes in sanctification. This is not just sanctification. We're talking about gospel sanctification. Yes, we can't love perfectly on our own, but Jesus can, and Jesus did. And we know this because he experienced the biggest. You want to talk about backstabbers? You want to talk about traitors and jerks in our lives? Jesus experienced the biggest ones and his response was nothing but love for them. And yet, you know what the result of Jesus' life was? He was whipped, he was flogged, and he was beaten to a bloody mess. And if you ever watch, you know, what was it? That one movie about Jesus being crucified by Mel Gibson, how ugly and how messed up that person looks like, even though he's trying his best to portray Jesus. That's nothing close to how ugly Jesus looked. And the reason why is not because Jesus failed to love others. It's because we failed it. And Jesus is taking on all the ugliness, right? All the hatred of the world on that cross in order that we can conform to people who are are able to love, right? Love our brothers and sisters and be transformed by the cross. Transformed from these ugly spiritual caterpillars that we talked about to these beautiful spiritual butterfly with wings. To have the power to love even those who are so unlovable in our eyes. And that's why one commentator noted, I forgot to bring the quote with me, but if we think very little of the cross of Christ, we are likely to feel little love from God and have little love from Him and for others. But if we stand before the atoning sacrifice of God's perfect Son, seeing how Jesus Himself in love, if we stand like that, that we might be saved, it is simply impossible that we would be unmoved and unchanged by His love. Friends, this is what gospel sanctification is all about. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, even though sanctification is a spiritual endeavor, right? It's by the Spirit of God that we can do this. It's true, but eventually it will work its way out physically and manifest in our lives. And so the tough thing we need to do this morning is we need to consider our hearts And we need to ask ourselves, where do we stand? Where are our our hearts? Is it tender? Is it soft? Is it loving? Or is it hard? Filled with hatred and anger towards others. And I pray as God works in the hearts and sanctifies each of us this morning, that Cornerstone Church would be a church filled with love to what? Love 
quietly, according to what Paul says, to love quietly, not looking to pick on each other for their weaknesses and their failures and be like, look, look at Pastor Andrew. He has such bad breath as a preacher, right? Instead of picking on him, love quietly, be gracious, right? Help each other, give to each other without recognition. You don't need the glory of men. You don't need the uh, applause of men, right? But yet at the same time, not only love quietly, but love in intentional, invisible ways that Paul notes in verse 12 at the very end here. Sometimes you need visible love to show people, to encourage brothers and sisters, and to reveal Jesus' love, not only to uh, Christians, but before outsiders, right? So the world will know that you are believers and the world will know that God exists. When you think about loving others, it's so complex and so simple at the same time, isn't it? And so brothers and sisters, as you grow in your sanctification, as God his love is poured into your hearts. I pray that it would result, as Paul noted in our very chapter, this brotherly love, right? That Philadelphia is known for, a brotherly love for each other here at Cornerstone first, and that it would go out to the rest of the community. Let me pray for us.